Today we have Jenny Gu on the show. Do you want to be a successful multifamily investor? Jenny Gu is a real estate investor who has made it big in the business. She's retired from her day job and now dedicates her time to helping others achieve the same level of success that she has. She knows what it takes to be successful and is excited to share her knowledge with you through their mentorship academy. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Jenny Goo before we start the show. Both Jenny and her husband worked for many years at Procter & Gamble. They were looking for a way to diversify their investments, and they started to invest in residential real estate. They built up a portfolio that allowed her to leave her corporate job. She then decided to scale into multifamily, which led her to want to share with others. That urge to help others led her and her business partner, Stephen Louie, to start up their mentorship academy. What a great focus. They get to share and help others build wealth. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Jenny Gu. Jenny, appreciate you coming on the show. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Darren. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. This is the first time we're talking, but um, I know her business partner very well. So Jenny has partnered up with um, Stephen Louie. And uh, I met Stephen probably three, four years ago um, before, right when when I started getting into the multifamily realm and um, just really good guy. And so I'm interested to hear how they partnered up. And, and I've, I've been hearing from other people all the great things that they're doing together. So this is exciting. So um, with that, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Personally, so my husband and I, we have at this point now over 2,000 doors um, invested in with our own personal money. From a company standpoint, Vertical Street, we have a little over 1,300 doors under management, roughly equating to over 300 million of assets under management. So predominantly in the Arizona marketplace. And then we just expanded into to Texas last year. Awesome. Awesome. So before we hit record, Jenny shared like a really, it's actually a very unique story. So I, w- I want her to share, you know, a little bit on your background. Um, but most people come in and they say they started to invest in real estate and then they were able to quit their corporate America job. And you were able to do that even before investing. So can you share a little bit of that story? Absolutely. Yeah. So my husband and I, we both work, we actually met at Procter & Gamble 
And I worked there for about 13 years as a sales director for the company, um, working on brands like Dawn, Cascade, Swiffer for Breeze. So hopefully you've heard of a few of those brands. Um, but, you know, we were both 100% of our retirement was tied into the company. So we have profit sharing. And of course, we, you know, we took advantage of 401ks, but quickly decided that we didn't want to have all of our eggs in one basket. So we started to do a little bit of research of, okay, where can we diversify our retirement? So we weren't just solely depending on, you know, what we had with the company. And of course, real estate was one of the top things that popped up. So when we lived in Cincinnati, we actually started investing, this is quite a years ago, uh, 2016, 2017, uh, in single family homes. And it's the traditional long-term rental, nothing fancy. It's just, you know, buy your home and rent it out long-term. Um, and after we accumulated about 10, we decided to find a way to scale faster. Coincidentally, we were also moving back to California at that time and transferred with PNG. Um, but six months later, you know, just due to the nature of the work and the lifestyle that we wanted for our families, we said, you know what, Jenny, we had a conversation between us and I said, you know, I want to leave. And I'm able to do so because I had 10 single family passive income coming in that offset some of my income already. Ronnie would stay behind. And we learned about what people were raving about, multifamily investments. And I just believed in this model so much. And we saw success from the single family side that to me, it was a decision of, can I jump into this 100% of my time, take that risk and be really successful? Or try to do it part-time while I'm working full-time with a corporate career and lots of travel, and lots of stress. And it was easy. The decision was so easy for me to just jump and head, dive headfirst into multifamily. And that's when we decided, I'll leave first. Ronnie, you stay for as long as you'd like. Um, but I will take the risk of leaving and pursuing this 100% full in. And so, yes, I burned bridges before even purchasing a single multifamily door. That's funny. So you said it was an easy decision. Like most of these decisions, I don't know, in my experience, people say that it wasn't easy. It's easy looking back. But now having had the 10 single families, did that help you make your decision? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So when I say easy, I don't mean just go do it. You have to actually take a step and plan, right? So we sat down and laid out our finances and said, okay, well, here's what's coming in. Here's what's going out. What needs to happen to make this true and work successfully? So there's a little bit of risk in the, in the sense of, you know, it's something new. And obviously we're giving up some stability to jump and do something new. So there's always that risk. The easy part of that is what I mean by that is when you're clear on what your priorities are, your actions and decisions will just make sense. That's the easy part. So we said we want to prioritize time with family. That's why we moved back to LA. We had no family in the Midwest. We prioritized family. I want to spend more time with the kids in their schools, with their activities. What can I do differently? And this industry allows that flexibility. So the decision to, to do it, that was the easy part because we had our priorities very clear with each other. That's awesome. So you also told me, I think that before we hit record, that 
that you retired from corporate America at the age of 34. Like, look, I'm 52 and, and that anybody in their twenties or thirties that is able to figure it out and, and get out from, you know, having a W2 job. I, I admire that. And then I applaud that. So that's huge. So 34, you had built up a, enough equity. When did you start? And how old were you when you started investing in a single family? Gosh, um, 2017. 20. So I'm 30. I'm 36 now. So 30, 31. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah. now you've partnered up with Stephen Louie and you've got a company called Vertical Street Ventures. Uh, one, how did you guys know each other? How did you guys connect? And then two, kind of what's the vision for this, this new company? Yeah. So when we moved back to LA, um, Ronnie actually met Steve at a meetup that Steve was speaking at about multifamily syndications. Um, and then they went out for coffee, got to know each other. And, you know, he said, you know, why don't you meet my wife? She's thinking about leaving her corporate career. She's going to have a little bit more time and flexibility. I think you guys would get along. So that was a kind of the, the starting point of the relationship. And then I met with Steve, we chatted a little bit and then really for the course of the next, call it 10 months, I essentially worked with him, interned for him, for lack of a better word, because I said, look, I love what you're doing. You're doing what I want to do. Um, I'm leaving my job. Here are all my skill sets coming from you know, corporate America, managing billion-dollar brands and creating national sales strategies. He recognized the skill set that I had, and I had what he needed was time. And um, the ability to work on potential projects because he was still working full time. So he essentially became my mentor. Um, I interned, for lack of a better word, with him for a good <laughs> 10 months or so before we actually did our first project together. But that's where I, I, I always tell folks when you're jumping into this, any, any industry really, the quickest way you can accelerate is to find a mentor, find someone who has done what you've done has a passion of helping others and has your interest at heart as well. But you have to bring some value to the table. You can't be a time sucker. You can't be a resource sucker. You have to drive and give your mentor value. Um, and for him, it was my time and expertise in managing his Phoenix properties for him. Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. Um, I think it's great advice that you just said that, is that you, you, know, you have to bring something to the table. And some people may think like, well, what do I have to bring, right? And, and I remember when I got in, it, there were certain people that were cordial. Like I'd be like, oh, let's partner on deals together. And yeah, Darren, man, let, when the right opportunity comes, we'll partner. And like those people, they were wasting my time as much as I was wasting theirs because they didn't tell me the real deal. They didn't see the value. So somebody finally told me, Darren, if, I find a deal. Why am I going to partner with you? I'm going to partner with that person over there. They already have investor database relationship with broker. I'm like, I'm like, why would you partner with me? Well, do something that I don't want to do. Right. So maybe I'm too busy. Go find me the deal. Right. And that look, it was a hard little punch, you know, but it was true. Right. And unless both people are bringing value, there's not going to be a true partnership. So I love that you said that and you gave that advice. 
Now you yeah. started this company and you guys are now mentoring other people, my understanding. Yes. Yeah. We launched, you know, collectively, you know, we have the company today has myself, Steve, Kyle Mitchell is one of our other partners, as well as Ronnie. And, you know, collectively we've bought and accumulated and built, you know, now over $300 million of assets under management. You know, last year when we built the company, so VSB started in January of 2021, we had a lot of people come to us and say, hey, Jenny and Steve and Kyle, how did you grow so fast? What did you do? And, you know, part of the things that I love about my partners at the company is that we love helping others, you know, achieve what we've achieved. Because honestly, I'm sure, Darren, you say this to folks. I wish I learned this 20 years ago. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Totally. Right? Yes. I wish somebody taught us this out of high school. Like if we, the knowledge we have right now, it would do wonders and change lives at such an earlier stage. And so when people, a lot of people came to us, you know, I was sitting down with Steve, I'm like, look, you and I both love to help others, to coach, to teach. This is a great industry. We wish we learned this sooner. What can we do to help others? And that's kind of the the brainchild of how the Academy started. So we we launched a, a program last fall. It started with about 10, call it beta students, right? Just to, to work things out and make sure we were running things and giving as much value as we could. You know, and a year later, now we're at 70 plus students and the success has been tremendous. And what I mean by that is now, you know, I did a rough tally for our conference back in June and our current students since joining our program have either partnered with us or done deals on their own accumulating over 300 million of assets under management already. So what we've taught them and what they can now go do, it has been amazing. And we partner, one of those, one of the differences in our program, we partner with students on deals and we've done four partnerships already because, you know, it's so competitive to get in, get your foot in the door and to have somebody to help you and and provide their credibility and their name has been such a huge benefit for our our academy. That's a huge, huge deal. I mean, a lot of groups are, you know, you pay to get into the mentorship group and you're paying to get proximity to a lot of people. Um, But it's still on you to develop the relationships and to, you know, figure out what value you bring compared to the other partners and then go out and find deals. Um, so to have somebody that has the balance sheet, the net worth and the know-how and to help prop you along because getting that first deal is the, for a lot of people is the the hardest one to, to get. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. So that's, that's huge. That, did you guys see that as a risk? Like, so Talking to you, you sound like, look, you're in, and I know Steve, so I, I don't doubt what you're saying. You're both, your hearts were like, hey, we love to teach, you know, how, do, how can we teach more people? Um, but when you start getting into, you know, setting up a conference and then, you know, having to pitch a course and, uh, you know, an academy or, you know, a group, whatever, um, and there's money involved, well, you're providing value, but it's also a little stressful. Like, are you, you know, you're put, you're out laying money, um, time, your own credibility, you know, that's a risk. 
So did you guys perceive that as a risk or did you guys just play along to the, hey, look, we're just going to try to help as many people as possible? Yeah, I think, you know, with anything you do, there's always risks and rewards. And you, before you make the decision, you have to weigh the pros and cons. And absolutely, there's risks. You know, what if a student deal goes wrong or, you know. What if nobody shows up? (laughs) Yeah, we're we're not delivering value when we get, you know, a one-star rating. Um, And that's why we started with a small group first. So, you know, I'm a, the phrase I I heard a ton and totally agree with that PMG was, feedback is a gift. So I love getting lots of gifts to always continually improve. We do lots of surveys. We generate feedback from our our students after every student event and after every conference, because we want to make sure we deliver as much value as we can. It's an investment, right? You're you're paying a a coach and a mentor. It's a huge investment. So we want to make sure there's accountability on our side to make sure that it's it's working. Um, And so the risks are there, but ultimately, I think the rewards have been so much greater. And the students that are joining have just, you know, there's there's so many different skill sets. You're learning real estate, but you're we're also teaching how to put together a sales deck, how to do an investor webinar without putting them to sleep. Like those are just other skill sets that you have to learn to be successful. And that's where I think our sales backgrounds, um, both Steve at Mercer, myself at PNG, like that's where it lends itself to having a, a well-rounded program. Yeah. I l- look, the coaching, right? So coaching and mentorship in some ways, I like I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, if, if you want to do something, find somebody else that's done it and then learn from them. Um, but I think the coaching industry, the mentorship industry, there's, there's some negatives that, People perceive around that, like, okay, well, you're you're selling a course, and is there enough value? And, um, but as you were speaking, like, it it reminded me of like teaching like little league baseball, and I remember there were kids, you know, at the beginning of the season that could barely throw the ball, right? And then the joy of seeing as a coach seeing that kid field a ball at third base and throw it all the way across the diamond and get the kid out at first. Well, after your kids grow up or like you, you don't have that coaching opportunity anymore, but here you do. So you get the joy of seeing how you've changed people's lives. Now, there's also financial rewards for doing it. And you wouldn't invest your time if, if, you, if you didn't see that uh, capability. But I think there's, when it comes to coaching, there's just an inherent joy in helping somebody else step up. Absolutely. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we do things that I think are greater than just us. Right. And, and, you know, so, you know, when I think about our purpose in life and like why we're here, obviously we, we want to be successful. You want to have financial success, relationship success, all of that. But when, what happens when you you pass away, right? Everyone says this, you take your memories with you and, and, and the impact that you make on other people, that's what you take with you. And so, you know, I, and I, 
I guess as I've gotten older, I guess I know I'm, I'm 36. <laughs> as I've gotten older. <laughs> I do well, I hope there's a bunch of 20-somethings <laughs> listening to this because, <laughs> because oh, now you're making me look really old. All right, go ahead. But yes, it's true. And I, I, I think you'd agree. As people get older, you start to think differently about what legacy you want to leave behind. And to me, and I think a lot of people that I've met in this industry, that legacy is for your family. And, and for us too, over the last couple of years, it's, it's been, how do we help and touch more lives? And for us here in this industry, it's getting people to be financially free so that they can live their life by design and, and do what they want to do on their own time and not be tied to their desk or working for the man or the woman um, in their career. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I love it. So, you know, there's like, well, a few, few areas of your life that you mentioned them, relational, like, you know, you relational, um, physical, you want to have good health, right? Um, yeah. And financial. Though, I mean, those are like three of the top, you know, that people strive for. And if you want to be successful in any of those areas, you actually have to work at it, right? I mean, if you want to become, you know, physically fit, you actually have to, it doesn't matter if you buy all the great equipment, right? You actually have to go and do the work. And in multifamily, you still have to go do the work, but it's nice having somebody to coach you along to tell you, you know, where you're going to get the most, you know, return on your, your time investment. Yeah. And that's what you guys are doing. Yeah. I mean, here's a case study right now. We are literally working on a student deal. We had a dry run with them yesterday on the webinar and giving them feedback on, you know, style and, hey, this is how you should position it. And, you know, this question comes up. This is how I would answer it. I mean, that's how granular we get with them because we, again, want them to be able to raise capital in this project. And, you know, part of the academy, we have um, 14 modules with quizzes on every different key topics throughout the syndication process. And, you know, I, and I'm telling them, watch the legal module. We're going through legal docs right now. Watch the loan module. We are signing up for the loan and going through that application process. So it, it links together really well because, you know, adults learn by doing more so than just listening, right? right. So be able to, to hear and then actually apply it has been, um, I think, a lot of value for them through this process. It gives, I'm sure it gives them a lot of confidence too, um, having other people talk about how they've already gone through it. Um, you know, I was out at a property and spent some time with the on-site leasing manager and the leasing manager afterwards was like, thank you for spending time with like, cause I helped just talk through like, okay, if I had these objections, you know, these are some of the things that I would, I would probably say or whatever. Um, and that leasing person that just wanted to learn, just wanted to do their job better, learn how to do it better, learn how to be more successful. And I applaud people like yourselves that, look, you said you retired at 34, and then you went and bought a ton of multifamily. You guys don't have to do this, right? I mean, you could be sitting on a beach. I love the fact that successful people will turn around and reinvest time, money, and effort into helping pull other people up. Man, I've been 
patting your back a lot in this interview so far. So, hey, talk about mindset, because I think that going from single family to multifamily can be scary. Uh, Going from, you know, investing in stocks and 401ks to just buying a single family house can be scary. So how do you kind of shift that mindset to take that chance and to do something different? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I I love learning and about mindset and listening to podcasts. Tony Robbins, I went to one of his conferences last year. My mind was just blown. Um, <laughs> a guy, is, he's got so much energy. Um, but I think ultimately why you are scared, it's because you don't know the data and the information. Once you're able to educate yourself, right, then I think that fear subsides and then you're more confident. So what all we know growing up, we were told to invest in stocks, a 401k, an IRA, a Roth, um, all of that was taught to us. We didn't know any different because we weren't needing to know any different. But until someone opens your eyes to other means like real estate, then you are able, it's a little scary, of course, because if you weren't, you're not familiar with it. But once you collect the data and understand the numbers, then it the fear goes away and you just have to do that first one to see that, oh man, that wasn't that hard or that wasn't that scary. Um, and then you just, it, it, it snowballs, right? So same thing with multifamily. Ronnie actually was the one that drives a lot of the, the real estate decisions for us at the beginning. He said, um, let's do real estate. And I said, okay, well, tell me more. Like, give me the data. Like, I'm, I'm more like the detail person. Um, sure. I have to make the facts before we make the decision. And I said, okay, cool. I think that makes sense. Let's go try it. And then one day, you know, our pillow talk is typically real estate or taxes. Um, and so one day he was like, let's try buying an apartment building. And I kind of was silent for a little bit. In my head, I was thinking, this guy's nuts. How are we going to go back to the apartment? <laughs> But I said, okay, well, okay, that's, that feels a little daunting, like, tell me more. And so, you know, again, I I was, it was nerve wracking to go and buy our first apartment, but because I had a mentor, you know, Steve was my mentor because we collected and gathered enough information to make an educated decision, then that risk and that fear completely goes away. Um, And then it's more excitement at that point. It replaces the fear. And then you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm going to go buy an apartment and and I'm going to do this and invest. And it, it becomes excitement, I think, for at least for me. That, yeah, that's great. I, I think it's so true that, you know, anytime you're doing something that you haven't done before, it's scary, but it could be exciting at the same time, right? And, and um, if you think back to your first stock trade, right? And that's, and that's what everybody tells you you should invest in. But the first time that you got onto an online platform and bought your first stock. Like you didn't know how to do it. You did it. Um, and then when you bought your first house, right? Like that's a big investment, but everybody seems to do that. So it seems, even though it's scary, it seems like that's normal. But the real estate investing, the multifamily is like another step removed. It's it's not everybody is doing it and it feels a little scary. So you know, my advice is surround yourself with other people that have done it, right? And then you start seeing all these other people that, like Jenny just said, it becomes exciting instead of 
scary. And you see all these other people doing it and it starts to see, seem a little bit normal. And then yeah. once you do it, the next time gets easier and easier and easier. Yeah. And the funny thing is real estate isn't new. I mean, no. this is buying and investing in real estate has been around for hundreds of years, you know? And so it's now only become more accessible to the general public because of things like syndications and social media and people are getting more educated about it. So it's scary for, you know, the new person doing it today, but it's not like crypto where that's completely new over the last couple of years. Real estate has been around forever. Right. Now that word syndication, I think that word can be intimidating. Like, so in your, how would you define syndication? Um, a syndication to me essentially is pooling together investor funds to go purchase an asset together. It could be a apartment building. It could be a real retail space. Um, you know, it, it could be anything, whatever you, you want to buy, but pooling together, not just your own money, but a group of people's money. So investors money to buy something. That's it. I mean, that just simplifies it, right? I mean, look, you can't go buy a $30 million apartment community, but you could invest 50 grand or 100 grand and pool that money with a bunch of other people and go buy that $30 million building. That seems so foreign to a lot of people, but that's what's happening, you know? And, and the returns are significantly better than what I saw in the stock market. I don't know if you're... Your um, results have been the same, but extremely different than. So what's the major advice that you would give people in terms of, I, had, I was talking to a guy earlier today. He said, Darren, you know, I've heard do LP, then do, become a KP, then become a GP. I had my own take on it, but like, what's, what's yours? What, what's the advice that you give somebody when they're just jumping into the syndication world? Uh, I would say, again, start with your priorities and your why. So if you are jumping into this and you just want to invest in as an LP, limited partner, and be that passive investor, which is great, um, set a goal. You know, say if I want $10,000 a month of passive income, for example, that's your goal, then okay, go, go learn what you need to learn to get that goal and then just go do it. So part of, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, part of the, the, the issue that holds people back is that they just accumulate knowledge and then they don't do anything. They don't right. take action. And yeah. so get yourself to that point and then just do that first deal. Whether it's an LP or a GP, just go do it. You'll, you'll, your fear will subside, you'll get excited and you'll actually want to do more pretty quickly afterwards. Did you um, have fear on your first syndication as an LP? Absolutely, yes. I mean, what were what were you afraid of? Well, the risk, right? For any new endeavor, there's a risk of loss. Risk of gonna, loss, right? Uh, and so, more people are afraid that they're going to lose than they do think about how much they, they have to gain. Exactly, hundred percent. It's human nature um, to feel that way. But yeah, that, that I that was fear scared. Oh, yeah. I was scared. But then the second time, I wasn't scared. Yeah. And the third time, the next time. So it, it definitely gets easier. Um, For sure. Especially when I, you get that first sale, 
right? And then you, you truly see the power of the syndication. We just sold a property for 3x returns in under 20 months. I mean, so 3x returns. What so somebody invested 100,000. What yeah, they're getting so, back, they're 100,000 plus another 200,000. You got it. So if you, let's say, for example, you invest 100, inclusive of your cash flow within that time frame and the proceeds from sales, your share of the profits, we gave our investors over 3x returns in under 20 months. Under 20 months. That, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, where does Vertical Street Ventures go from here? Like, what? what's the, the vision going forward? Gosh, um, I get asked that a lot. And um, I always say, I don't know. Because <laughs> as an entrepreneur, it's so hard. Our, our, I feel like our goals change every quarter. Um, I'll tell you, when we launched this company, we said, ah, we need to set a goal, right? Granted, it was 2021. We, COVID was still going on. We didn't know what was realistic. So we just said, you know what? Let's say 25 million. Let's go acquire 25 million of new assets to put under management. And we ended the year at 86 million of new assets under management. And we said, wow. okay, well, that's that's great. Um, what should our goal be for 2022? Again, just working together and not knowing, you know, we knew we were going to be successful. We just were like, well, if we just threw a number out there, let's just double. All right, we're going to double. We're going to get 180 million of new acquisitions this year. And we are on track to hit that for the end of the year. So I don't, and I share that to illustrate, I just don't know. <laughs> but what I want to stress is I want to enjoy the journey. I want to enjoy the process. And so setting a goal is great. And it's, it, it puts something you know on paper and in the sky for you to reach to. But don't forget to pause, celebrate your successes, enjoy the journey, because you know that's once you hit your goal, you're on to new goals, right? You just you, you, you never stop. And so I prefer to focus on, okay, here's our goal, but here's what I'm going to do along the way. Here's who we're going to impact, how we're going to do it. Um, I think that's actually more enjoyable than just you know trying to hit what our goal. But if I had to put a number to it, and we'll probably hit it because that's how we are, and we'll be a billion dollars in three years if I had to oh. peg it, right? So I love that you said enjoy the journey. Because, you know, I think that, that that plays into a lot of different things. Like, as you do things that are uncomfortable and you stretch, there's that combination of fear and excitement at the same time. But then that's, to me, like, as an entrepreneur, like, where the juices are flowing. Like, can I make this happen, you know? And then once you achieve that, like you said, you're on to other other goals, right? On, on, on new things that are going to stretch you. Um, but enjoying, look, that's part of the reason why people want freedom, right? Financial freedom, time freedom is so that they can enjoy, right? So there are some people that are just caught up in the number of units, the number of assets under management, building a bigger company. And I'm not sure if they slow down to enjoy the journey. Like you do need to celebrate 
some of those successes and do some things that you enjoy in life as well. Um, so I like your attitude. I like, I like it. I like it. Now that you have 70 students, um, and I'm, I'm not trying to ask you to throw anybody under the bus, but I see it in, so I'm part of the Sumrock group. I, I see it with certain people that come into the group. And I can't, it's not like I can tell right away who's going to be successful or not, but there's, there's some people that are successful and there's some people that kind of fall off. So within your group of 70 students, can you talk to what are some of the defining characteristics of the ones, the go-getters, the ones that make it happen versus the ones that, you know, they paid the money, they're part of the group, but they, they're coming up short. Yeah, I think like a lot of things, it follows the 80-20 rule. So I would say, generally speaking, 20% of our student group make up 80% of the successes so far. I think that I think that's fair to 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 say. Um, the there's certainly what, what are they doing? What yeah, are the, what are the top 20% doing differently? So. I'll use a classroom as the analogy, okay? Okay. I would say similar to how your top students are probably the ones that are sitting in the front row. They are raising their hands. They are asking the most questions. They are leading, um, you know, subgroups or projects, um, and they show up, right? And you're you're absolutely right. There are probably a handful of um, folks in our academy who I probably haven't seen in six months in our mastermind sessions or coaching calls, right? And for whatever their reason is, they're busy, you know, they have big things going on at work or personally, it's not bad or wrong. It's just where they are in their stage. And that, of course, will hinder how successful they are. But the ones who are showing up um, and asking questions and fully, 100% fully engaged with the group and the coaches, those are the ones that are being successful. Um, and it's great because that level of um, commitment is inspiring the other students to pick up their butts and keep moving, right? Sure. So when you see the success of other people, you know, competition comes naturally, but it, it should also be inspiring to others that we have doctors and lawyers in our group they're on the clock and very, very, very busy as well, like everybody else. But if, if they can do it, then why can't I, or why can't these students? So yeah. that's what we try to encourage. That, it's interesting. I love that you said the 80-20 rule, because I, I believe that too, is like, you know what, think about, you know, your life and, you know, all the different careers that you've been in and competitions you've been in sports. And are you the type that rises up? You know, are you the type that figures it out? If you are, then I'm like, you know, you will find a way to make it happen. You don't have all the answers right away, but you get plugged in with people that can educate you, and then you will fight, kick, and scratch to figure it out. The ones that pay money and just expect it to be handed to them, they don't have a good return. And... You know, I think that it doesn't matter what mentorship group, what coaching group they get involved with, um, you know, you have to put in the work. So yeah. you said 
start with your why. And I don't know if you've ever read that, that book by Simon Sinek, um, but it's a, it's a great book. Um, but I think that that, I love that response because that's so true is look, you, it's more than just writing a check to be part of a group or an academy or a coaching group or a mentorship group. You actually have to make a decision that you're going to buy real estate and you need somebody to help you get there. And you're committed to doing that. You need to ha- make that decision and you need to be committed. If you don't do that, then you know, you're, you're putting too much on the coaching group. They're not going to be able to you know, make up the difference. It's got to yeah. be a two-way street working yeah. together. And I'll add to that. I'd say the students who I think I see actually spin a lot, you know, in their own mind or they spin their wheels a lot are the ones who don't have their priorities straight. They don't have it very clear. Um, and yes, they join because, you know, they they saw kind of the, the result. But that's our our example and our goals for ourselves. But when you come in and you're not clear on what you want and what your priorities are, then it's harder to help you get to that end state if you can't even articulate what you want. So that's why right. we push a lot of our students in the first couple of calls. What do you want? What are your goals and how do we get help you get there? Because um, if there's no clarity in that, then I, I, I can't help you, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It has to be super crystal clear. So. That's that's funny. Somebody once told me a story, and, and it sounds like so ridiculous, but like, you know, this person walks into an airport and walks up to the ticket counter and says, you know, give me a ticket. And they're like, well, where do you want to go? Like, well, I don't know. Just give me a ticket. Like, they they won't issue you a ticket until you tell them, like, where, where, where do you want to fly to? And so many people live their life that way where they haven't figured out where do they want to go. And... Because once you know where you want to go, then you can go searching out for people, you know, to, to help you get there. But if you don't know where you want to go, it's very hard for people to help you. Hey, so your background, Procter & Gamble, great company, um, marquee name on your resume. What do you think, what skill sets do you think that you learned there that you're you being able to utilize in the multifamily investing world? Yeah, and I actually, Steve and I talk about this all the time. It's when we look at who's successful in this industry, and there's there's a lot of successful people, the key common trait that we notice are folks who have some sort of corporate training. And what I mean, and it doesn't have to be sales. You could be in corporate finance or corporate accounting or corporate engineering or what have you, right? Logistics, whatever it is. The, the key is, in apartment syndications, you're running a business. You are essentially, it's yes, people live there, but it is a business. It's not like a single family home um, where you know it's one, one, one house, one everything, right? You're running a multifamily, multi-million dollar business. And so you have to think like a business owner, like an entrepreneur. How do I drive income? How do I reduce expenses? How do I project manage? How do I manage people? You are constantly working cross-functionally across your property management, your investors, your lenders, your brokers. So when you have that experience in your back pocket, that's where I find a lot of people are more successful and 
they accelerate faster. And so when, if you don't have that skill set, and that's okay, maybe you're a doctor, a lawyer, or, you know, some, someone non-traditionally corporate, find a partner, build your team. So you're rounding yourself out with somebody who has an experience to help execute and, um, you know, run the business plan. So that's important. That That's great. I actually just interviewed a doctor a few weeks ago and, and he said, that's, one of the things he said, he said, look, I, I immediately recognized what I was good at and his happy place is, is in, you know, surgery, helping, you know, the health of people. Um, but he's learned now to grow his wealth and he wants to share that as well, but he's not the operations guy. So he's like, I need to go, you know, I partnered with a really good operations guy you know, I don't have the time because I'm in surgery a lot. So I, I partnered with a great acquisitions guy. And so he recognized where, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were, and then married those up, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. That's so key. It, it's finding what you're good at. And then also what you love doing. Like when that happens, I always say magical things happen. Um, you could be really good at it, but if you don't love it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it anyways. Um, but when you you match those two things together, like that's where really phenomenal things occur. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so true. And yeah, you know what? I mean, I fall into this camp too. Sometimes it's hard to think that like the things that you hate, somebody else is going to like. Yeah. But but they do, right? Like there's certain oh, yeah. certain people, they, they actually enjoy doing the stuff that you don't like, you know, and there's and they're glad that you that you love the stuff that they don't. So right. but sometimes in your own mind you may say, Oh man, nobody else would want to do this piece, but um You'd be surprised, yeah. Yeah, you'd be you would be surprised. So um when you were a child, did you know you were gonna be super successful? Um I don't think any child thinks they're going to grow up to be unsuccessful. I think we had different dreams as a kid. I had no idea I would be running a real estate company when I was grown up and a big kid. I wanted to do everything all the kids wanted. I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be, uh, you know, a lawyer. Even I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to do all those fun, creative things. And then, you know, things just change. But at the, at the end of the day, I think it's the experiences you gather as you grow up that shape, obviously, who you end up being. And I think not being successful was not an option for me growing up. Where did, where did you grow up? All over the place. So um, my family- in the, U- in the U.S.? No. Well, yes and no. Um, so my family actually were Vietnamese immigrants. Um, okay. So they were refugees. Um, I was actually born in a refugee camp in the Philippines. Um, We immigrated to Canada, believe it or not, of all places. Lived there until I was about nine and then came over to the U.S. since then. So I've been in the U.S. since I was nine. So all over the country, Virginia, Arizona, with work, with P&G, Minnesota, Cincinnati, now California, but kind of all over. Fantastic. Fantastic. man, I think that there's a piece of life that's financial, right? Like you, you retired. I know some people that have built up, look, look, when you talk about your goal of, 
you didn't even say it was gold, but you said, I wouldn't be surprised if you'd be at a billion dollars in assets under management in three years. Like at a certain point, the dollars and cents are, are there, right? Um, and you don't have the worry. And you've got the legacy wealth to pass on to your, you, you know, your family. But what's the remaining life purpose, right? And I think that the people that are wealthy that retire and go sit on a beach, you hear too many stories about how they just deteriorate because they don't have that life purpose still. So the fact, you know, people that give back, you know, whether it's financial education or, uh, you know, partnering with people to um, go into career paths. I mean, even you think about Shark Tank, like those guys are so wealthy and yeah, they can, they're making more money by partnering with these people, but they could potentially change the lives of those individuals. And to me, after, after you get the financial piece, that joy of helping somebody else's life is just massive. Do you keep growing the, the academy or you, do you keep it small? I would, you know, I, I honestly, if I can help more people faster, then I'm 100% dedicated to that. So, yeah, I mean, I would love to grow the academy because they don't just learn from us. I learn from them also, right? These yeah. students range from, you know, folks in their 20s. I think we have a 70-something-year-old student in the academy. And that is so admirable at that life stage. And they are still wanting to learn. I think that is so, so amazing to see. Um, and so the more people that I can help, the more that actually they help me because I'm constantly learning from them. Um, and I don't know, this could be a 500 person academy in a couple years, it could be a thousand, whatever that number is. I feel so much pride when I see our students be successful. It's like when you work in, in a regular job, like to me at PNG, when I was able to promote somebody, that was probably one of the best days of my career at PNGs because I helped somebody learn, grow, do better to become, move on to bigger and better things. And that's right. what I see in the academy is if they, their success is my success. Um, and that's what I want to continue as long as I can. What's your take on social media? Love, hate. And as it, re- and, <laughs> and as it relates to what you're talking about, helping other people. I think um, social media has exponentially helped us reach more people. Um, And so I think there are definitely more pros and cons to to what we put out there. Um, The the, the hate part, I think, why I quickly said that is just because I think bad news and negative news also spreads very quickly. And so that part I've had to learn how to just come to grips with and kind of ignore more purposefully um, so that it doesn't consume me. And that and that applies to everything, not just real estate or the industry, but just everything in general. But I think we can find a better way than use social media for more good than than bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to think it was a time suck, like I, that it was just, you know, kids scrolling through on their phone. And um, but the neat part is being able to connect with people that aren't in your backyard that, you know, and learn from people 
all across the country. The other thing I, I would say to listeners is because like I have some, and I don't know if you get many of these questions through your academy or not, but I get people that talk about, well, you know what? I want to do my first deal before I start posting anything or, or even I want to go full cycle before I start posting anything. And, you know, part of my response to that is, look, there's people in your network that are not in my network, that are not in Jenny's network. And there are some of those people that, you know, if you get too far down the path, they will not relate to you anymore because you've already figured it all out where some people want to watch you go through the journey, you know? So, you know, people have said with social media, just document what you're, you know, what you're going through and your process and where you're at and then let other people learn from you. And I, I think that that's the right approach. Now there's social media is weird because there's a little bit of, um, Hey, look at me, you know, (laughs) and, yeah, everybody's trying to grab attention. Hey, look at me. And and but I think you have to block that out when you talk about the negative, right? I think you have to block out the fact that there's gonna be some people that will judge you for that because there's other people that are like, hey, thank you for sharing, you know, because I wouldn't have known this otherwise. I wouldn't have known that you were in real estate. I wouldn't have known that I can go to this free meetup group. I didn't, I wouldn't have known about this webinar where I could get free tax advice, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, So I would encourage people to share if they are going along the journey because almost for everybody, it starts out, like you started out for your own family. You know, how do we build the wealth for our own family? And then all of a sudden you start seeing it work and you want to share it with more people. But you didn't probably realize that in the beginning. You know, and I think there's a huge ripple effect that people can help people and then the next people help the next people and, and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've had people who have retired from PNG reach out to me and say, what are you up to? Or, you know, I didn't know you were in real estate. And so there, I think there are just so many more positive outcomes because social media has provided an outlet and the the speed of reach um, to enable learning. I think that's one of the biggest benefits of, of posting to your point, um, posting, but then also celebrating. And, um, I read a book by, um, Dan Sullivan, it's called the gap in the game. And he focuses, he talks about focusing on what you gained versus your gap against other people. Cause sometimes, and I think social media drives that like, oh, wow, look at this person. And they accumulated a million dollars today. And that has that, it drives some comparison. Um, And that's the negative part of it. But if you focus on your gain versus what yourself, what you gained versus yesterday, that is so much more beneficial than your gap versus somebody else. So. Yeah. That I, I think of it in terms of progress. Look, if you, yes. if everybody can just look at your, you know, compete against yourself and your progress and look back and you're a different person than you were six months ago than a year ago. So um, Dan Sullivan, he had the other book, Who Not How. I read that yeah, book, but I, that. I don't, I don't, so I don't know this one, The, the Gap and the Gain. Is that a new yeah, book that he has out? out? Okay. 
All right. Well, good recommendation. Well, thank you. So uh, we talked about kind of what, you know, where you guys are going, a billion. What do you like to do outside of work for fun? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I have an almost nine-year-old and a six and a half-year-old. And I am truly living the soccer mom life. It is real. Um, <laughs> nice. right, the back of our minivan has nothing but soccer gear. Um, so that consumes really after school hours and then Saturdays, really all day Saturday because they're both in soccer. Um, but outside of that, do you guys have, have to do the divide and conquer? Like one goes to one soccer game, the other one goes to the other? Well, Unfortunately, no. This year, they're all in the same field. They're just either oh, staggered time, so we just bounce around. Um, so that's been so much better. I don't, that's I don't envy the parents that have to split up across different. Well, sports. your t- your time might come at some point. So our our kids are both college age, but um, we had plenty of weekends where you know I'd be down in this city, and my wife would be in a different city, and you know with our other child, and it was. So it could end up um, pushing in different what directions, but oh, in any okay. event, it's such a fun time. So yeah. enjoy the enjoy the journey, enjoy that time. If people want to reach out and get to know you better, get to know your company better, you know, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. So you can visit our website. It's verticalstreetventures.com. Contact information is all there. We're on all the social media handles. I love meeting new people. Um, and learning more about them. So feel free to reach out, set up time and happy to chat about how, you know, we can help or I can help them in their journey in real estate. Fantastic. Well, Jenny, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, listeners, definitely check these guys out. They've got great hearts and they're, and they're giving back. So check out the website and um, until next week, sign off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.